Hello, and welcome to Serene Reflections, a podcast of Dharma Talks from the Wallawa Buddhist Temple. I am Rev. Clarissa Beattie, a Zen monk and Buddhist priest from the mountains of Northeast Oregon, where we practice contemplative meditation, the Chan of Bodhidharma, the Zen of Dogen, the Serene Reflection Meditation of Rev. Master G.U. Kennett. You are invited to let yourself grow naturally still, to let go of the world for a while. Join us in listening in sound, in listening in stillness, turning within to listen from the heart that seeks the way. Within the meditation hall rides there a saint upon a beast. The two are one, their struggles ceased, for wisdom breaks desire's thrall. Within the meditation hall in Wutai Mountain's summit cleft, Manjusri stands at Buddha's left, his sword of truth held straight and tall. Within the meditation hall, at great Manjusri's feet we sit. Father of Buddhas, make us fit to face ourselves without a pall. Within the meditation hall of our own hearts, Manjusri waits for us to silence fear and hates, that we may hear great wisdom's call. Within the meditation hall, serene reflection's fruits abound. As self is lost, so wisdom's found. Manjusri teaches this to all. These verses were written by Reverend Master Daisui McPhilamy as the words to an invocation for the festival of Manjusri Bodhisattva. This Sunday, April 4th, happens to be both the festival of Manjusri and also the 18th anniversary of Reverend Master Daisui's death. Manjusri is the bodhisattva who represents great wisdom, and Reverend Master Daisui was the wise monk who succeeded Reverend Master Jiu as head of our order after her death. He died of cancer on this day in the year 2003, a day I remember clearly because I happened to be with him when he died. 
and his death was a profound example to me of opening the heart and going beyond the opposites. But it's his clear teaching on great wisdom on which I'd like to focus today, because in my experience training with him over a decade, wisdom was the main focus of his life and teaching. You could say Reverend Master Daizui was very much like Manjusri, who is the embodiment of great wisdom itself, to whom we turn for the example of how to gently convert our stubborn self-centeredness into the offering of bright clarity for all beings, a reflection of our own heart. Manjusri is often pictured as a scholar, an energetic-minded, good-looking young student with a promising future. This is a way of representing the bright mind shared by all humans. This bodhisattva is depicted as a noble, shining person seated in meditation atop a cross-eyed beast who represents the self. These two beings, Manjusri and the beast, are not separate. They are one being. This image reflects how we all may become when we find our own seat riding the beast of self. That self is a beast is not to say it is not useful. This beast is glorious. The willingness to be of service, to carry Manjusri wherever it is good to go, is the beast's magnificent offering. And the ability to keep our seat on this beautiful, willing beast of self, in meditation and in daily life, is what we open to when we undertake Zen Buddhist practice. So Manjusri on the beast is a traditional image to have on the altar of the monk's meditation hall in Zen Buddhism. This image reminds us of the wisdom which lies beyond duality, true clarity of mind, the willingness to go beyond the opposites to the third position. This wisdom is not an abstract quality held only by saints and bodhisattvas. Great wisdom is an aspect of the Buddha nature of every being. You could say that Reverend Master Daizui specialized in training with the bright mind. He was himself very bright, very well-educated, and a very precise thinker. He was a clinical psychologist, a researcher, and a bright young scholar before he was a monk. And as a monk, as a priest and teacher, he continued to use his fine, sharp intellect, and it was much appreciated. But he did not let his bright mind get carried away with itself, 
He put it to work for the benefit of the Dharma. And in the end, he left behind so much more than a stack of books, recordings, articles, transcripts, and hymn lyrics. In every moment, in every breath, he passed on the living example of the Buddha's teaching. In living the Dharma, as we go on, we may feel words are inadequate to express what we experience. Yet verbalizing can sometimes be of help as we try to clarify our understanding and to communicate. One insight in particular for which I am forever grateful to Reverend Master Daizui is that in practice it is important not to be afraid of words or of the thoughts, ideas, and opinions that they represent, but to hold them gently and remember that there is so much more that is even brighter beyond the glorious realm of the thinking mind. Words are merely signifiers for what is signified. Pointers we follow as we move beyond understanding. To where do the words point? To where do the concepts lead? Beyond what I say, what anyone says, is the truth of what is good to do with all that arises in the center of my being and in the life all around me. What matters most right here, right now? How may I make this very day a day of meditation? How may I make my life at this very moment an offering to all beings? How may this mind be of use? Like all of us, Reverend Master Daizui trained with self all his life. Quite a formidable self. In fact, for me, he was a living example of how to train with an active noggin. But by the time I met him in 1993, he had been training for many years, and he was not only smart, he was wise. And for his willingness to offer himself and his particular configuration of bright wisdom, I thank him. Reflect for a moment, on someone you know whom you would consider a wise person. What qualities 
does a wise being embody for you? To train and enlighten ourselves is to become thoroughly wise. Become one with the wisdom of the Buddhas, says Great Master Dogen. And from Great Master Bodhidharma, enlightenment is but an instant away. Why stay troubled until your hair has turned gray? How do we realize our inherent Buddha nature? In Zen, by practicing the mind of meditation. In fact, cultivating a clear and focused mind is central in Zen practice. Yet concentration of the mind is not all that we cultivate. In his article, Every Minute Meditation, Reverend Master Daisui posits, if we accept that truth is one and undivided, then it can only be realized by a mind which is itself unified and aware. He concludes this piece by saying, Done properly, the exercise of every minute meditation is refreshing, liberating, and energizing. Together with formal seated meditation, it can make a significant contribution to increasing one's religious understanding. Notice that he is saying, that the mind, unified and aware, one and undivided, can make a significant contribution. Meditation alone is not the whole understanding. The awakened mind does not exist in a vacuum. Wisdom is only fully realized in balance with compassion and love. A thoroughly wise being is naturally also compassionate and loving in living from the heart of truth. And this does not preclude using a good brain wisely. Even the one we call wise one, the Buddha himself, advised those who came to him sincerely seeking wisdom that however wise a teaching might seem to be, it is only good to follow when you know for yourself that the teaching is true. Each of us has our own unique way of coming to what is true for us. 
On the way, we will likely train with all sorts of foolishness as it arises from within. We will encounter the arising of our delusion, along with the arising of our greed and anger, all of which come up in order to be seen clearly and let go of. The arising of our delusions and of our hatreds and desires is not an obstacle to realizing enlightenment unless we let it remain so. The mere arising of the selfish self or my growing awareness of self-centeredness, this is not a problem. What matters is what I do with it. Of the three impediments, delusion can be especially slippery, because it takes many shapes and forms. Greed and hatred tend to be pretty straightforward, although there, too, things can get subtle and all three can be mixed together in all sorts of combinations, such as my greed for knowledge, or my anger at abstract principles. If I focus always on defining what arises, I quickly get thrown by the bucking of my own karmic tendencies. However, if I work patiently on releasing my clinging, when it becomes clear. Coming back to my sitting place again and again, the entanglements may come of themselves to arise and pass. And what emerges from within that process is the natural expression of compassion, love, and wisdom. As Reverend Master Daizui pointed out to me once in formal Sanzen, you don't have to let go of the whole world. You just have to relax your grip a little. And if you've ever ridden an energetic beast of any kind, you'll know how important it can be to follow that wise advice. Manjusri, in the iconography, often wields a flaming sword. This is the sword of wisdom, which represents the power of the mind to cut through delusion. Cutting through delusion does not mean cutting other people down or slicing yourself up. It means firmly and cleanly, cutting like a laser beam right through the fog of confusion, misunderstanding, and ignorance which comes with being born in the human realm. And the blade is the clarity of our own inherent insight, our own great wisdom from within. It involves using my head with love and compassion, 
and kind of like good horseback riding, finding this balance both comes naturally and takes years of practice to master. In his book, Buddhism from Within, An Intuitive Introduction to Buddhism, Reverend Master Daisui wrote the following. Some Buddhist teachings talk about effortless effort or the goal of goallessness. And sometimes this sounds as if the religion is saying that all we need to do is do what comes naturally. And in a sense, that is true. But what is needed is not doing what comes naturally to our selfish mind. For to do this would be simply to indulge impulsiveness. Instead, Buddhists must find a way to do what comes naturally to something else within themselves. This something else is what some schools of Buddhism call Buddha nature, or the mind that seeks the way. It is that within ourselves which has always been attuned to the truth. Other forms of Buddhism refer to that which guides a person as insight, the inner wisdom which is developed over time and training in the path. Still others view it as a transcendental being and give it a name such as Prajnaparamita, Manjusri Bodhisattva, or Amida Buddha. Whatever it may be called and however it may be viewed, finding it is one of the things which Buddhist training is all about. For each of us, my work in the meditation hall of my own heart is to wield Manjusri's sword gently and nobly with great wisdom. Each of us is inherently wise. How else could enlightenment be possible? Enlightenment is not something bestowed upon us from above or stumbled on accidentally. Great wisdom comes from within. It is already within. For me, the question is, how may I clarify great wisdom? What is the question for you?
And when you actually lift the sword of wisdom and begin to cut through the fog of delusion, with the help of great love and compassion, sometimes you may want to buckle yourself in to your meditation seat. Reverend Master Daisui wrote an article on Zen Buddhism for Ascent magazine, a publication which came out of Swami Radha's Yashodara Ashram in British Columbia. He was gesturing for those who practice in a yoga tradition towards something which cannot fully be expressed in words, but which can be known, which can unfold naturally for every one of us on any path. In this piece, he offered the following words, which, to me, very clearly define Manjusri in balance and at peace upon the dear and glorious beast of self. I think those of us who happen to enter through the gate of the mind do well to remember in some way the image he evokes each time we enter the meditation hall of the heart. A manjusri with a twinkle in the eye. He writes We who go into Zen feeling all stern and rigorous and alone and intellectually uncompromising get sort of mushied up by it somewhere along the line. Hearts begin to open. Minds begin to soften. Eyes begin to twinkle with a touch of mischief, and we get bowled over by the sheer love and divinity of the universe, within which we still don't necessarily find anything that we'd want to call God. In other words, while the practices of Zen are generally not devotional, their consequences are. Maybe devotion doesn't always need to make its offerings to something. Maybe it is enough that offerings of the heart simply be made. Maybe spiritual love doesn't always need a discernible beloved. Maybe it is enough that love simply be.
Thank you for joining us in listening to Serene Reflections from the Heart that Seeks the Way. To learn more about this practice, including more about how to meditate, you are invited to visit our website at walawabuddhisttemple.org. Here, in the Kanzayan Shrine of our Meditation Hall, we offer the merit of our practice of serene reflection meditation to all beings, including you, wherever you may be.